0: Welcome to Mock 10 Sports and this September 7th, 2023 episode. I appreciate you joining us. It's week two. Week two. Nowhere to hide in this one. Before we get down to business, though, sorry, I'm just checking a message there from, a, from Carter Carrolls, who will be joining us. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let me send him over that link. One second. Guest... Let's get him in here. It's going to be uh, guys. We, we got a, a jam packed session. Uh, we had another guest that was about to join us in just a moment, but she got sick. So she's out for this one. She's out for this one. I hate it because she would have been good. Let me let him know we just sent that link so we can start getting rocking and rolling, baby. Uh, just uh, All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right, guys, like I said, I am glad you were with us. This episode of Mock 10 Sports, the September 7th episode, it's here, guys. Week two, we're about to find out a lot. About to find out a lot in the SEC. This week, I mean, no if fans or buts about it. We are about to find out a lot. I mean, SEC coming off a bad week last week. One in three in the first weekend. I mean, obviously, you had the loss from LSU. LSU to Florida State took a loss. South Carolina took an L to North Carolina, I mean, 0 and 2 against the ACC. Got to get that figured out. Um, also, I mean, Tennessee got the one win. When I say it was a big win, I mean, you're figuring about 27 and a half um, points there. So I, I really wouldn't say it was a big one. Then Florida losing to Utah, losing to Utah. Not good for the SEC. It's usually the opposite. The SEC usually go, goes takes a step forward and makes a statement in week one, but a lot of opportunities. A lot of opportunities, six non-conference matchups across the league that I think are worthy of talking about. We obviously got a couple more. We'll get into all of them. We'll get into all 14 matchups. We have two fan, or sorry, now we have one fantastic guest. We have one. I was still thinking Leah was joining us. We still have we have one fantastic guest gonna join us. We did have Leah Van, Texas Longhorn Beat Rider from the Texas Lone Star live show. It was gonna join us. Talk a little Alabama, Texas. She's a little under the weather. She was a little underweather, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of LSU fans will know her. She used to cover LSU on the beat for the advocate. We will have to get her on a little bit later. And obviously, Texas joining the league in 24. We'll get her on again. But again, the show must go on. But Carter Carroll's here, who covers the Texas AM and Aggies for Gigum 247, will come discuss the Aggies trip this weekend to the 305. If you don't know the 305, it's Miami, baby. Texas A&M heading to Miami. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher returning that trip for that low-scoring pillow five-o matchup last year at Kyle Field and College Station. But Cardo joins us here around 7.45, kind of right after the bottom of the hour. So stay with us. We'll preview the Texas A&M and Texas Alabama game after he joins us. But it's making money Thursday, too, guys. Seven picks. There's a winner and a loser. Last week, three and four, got to get that better. we got to get that better. Five and six for the season, It kind of where we want to be. It's like I say with my bets. Give me a couple weeks. We go back, watch some film. It takes about three or four weeks to get a real feel for a team. Again, a lot of reactions after week one. We a lot of reactions after week two. I mean, how many years can you always go back and be like, man, we really liked them after week one? Like Florida last year always comes to mind. And then the very next week, I remember Florida beat Utah last year. Everybody was high on them, even myself a little bit. Come back, same place, in the swamp, drop one to Kentucky. Teams, again, the old cliche of teams make their biggest improvement, their biggest step from week one to week two. And that's what Mach 10's gonna do too, baby. The biggest step from week one to week two. We're going seven and zero this week. Seven and zero, blood bank guarantee, guys. Blood bank guarantee. That's what we got. We got a lot going on for you. But let's start off around the SEC, mixing a little round ball in this discussion too. Jalen Key and Malcolm, we're gonna stick on the football side, of the gridiron. We're practicing on Wednesday for the Crimson Tide. If you case you missed it, they left the middle Tennessee state game for Alabama. Mm. Second half, some little banged up, undisclosed injury, but they were back on the practice field on Wednesday. For people who don't know, traditionally, if someone isn't practicing by Wednesday, usually means they're not going to be ready for game day on Saturday. Usually, you got—I mean, depends if your team practices on Sunday or Monday. I've been on both staffs. Uh, if if they if they're not practicing within the first three days of practice, probably not going to see them to the game day. So it's a good sign. I mean, Jalen Key, the UAB transfer, got the start at safety against Middle Tennessee State. Malachi Moore, I thought like he's been on the roster since. Joan Amith was on the team. Uh, Malachi Morris got the start at the nickel position. The star position is what Alabama calls the inside uh, defensive back. Will be crucial for both of them. Will be crucial for both of them for Alabama with a Texas team that has some weapons. And if Quinn Evers can consistently hit the deep and I anticipate Texas taking advantage of that. They're going to test that Alabama secondary. Because I like the corners. I mean, Terry and Arnold, um, Kool-Aid McKinstry are good players. But, again, Secondary, especially with a young guy like Caleb Downs playing secondary, you need a veteran guy who's played a lot of football. Similar to not not the level in the SEC, but Jalen Keys played a lot of football in his life in his career. Go back to UAB, that's a little, that's a um, that's a little update there in Tuscaloosa on the defensive backfield. Florida DB Jadarius Perkins has entered the transfer portal. Uh, got a little bit of time. Was fighting for that nickel position in that secondary for Austin Armstrong and that Florida defense. Played a little bit on uh, that utah game i guess he didn't really like what he was if you go back and read his statement today on why he was transferring he thanked everybody but billy napier must have been a little bit of a falling out there i don't know what that was uh but again florida defensive back to dearest perkins has entered the transfer portal and then florida the sort former florida gator jervon dexter suing big league advance fund for violation of florida's nil and agency policies i mean from what i gathered, apparently he was unsure Unaware, I guess, of a clause in his deal that states he owes 15% of his pre-tax NFL earnings for 25 years. All that for a deal would have just given him a four hundred thirty-six thousand $436K. Yeah. Again, sometimes we take this short-term view instead of long-term view. Players, I know we, we may not have a lot of players watching, but players be careful who you're dealing with just from an agent standpoint, please. Just be careful who you trust. Make sure they're reading the fine line, the fine letterings within your contracts. That's what they're there for. That agent should be fired for not knowing that. I don't know all the details. Thought I would bring this up, though. And from a standpoint, I see a lot of people bashing. Schools need to educate them. Schools do educate the student-athletes on NIL deals. But remember, the schools can't really have much dealing with that. But I think it can be better. I will agree with most. It can be better. It's, it's more than just a team meeting. Hey, 130, you guys come in here and we're going to tell you, hey, be careful about NIL. Make sure you're doing stuff correctly. Log stuff in with compliance. That's surface level bull crap right there. It needs to be more in depth. You need to treat it. A lot of these schools need to go visit NFL teams and have, per- and maybe within the athletics department, hire two to three people. I know things are more expensive now with inflation. Come on, these athletic sports have the budget to go higher, not just for football, but for all sports. Two or three people initially, eventually branch out of people who are business people. They've looked at sports contracts before. Not people that are just social media influencers. They can go talk about how many followers are ha- they have or how many ad- or interactions they get on TikTok, Twitter, on Instagram. That's irrelevant. We're talking about the fine line details for these athletes that are obviously getting missed. I mean, 15% of his pre-tax NFL earnings for the next 25 years, you've got to be kidding me. How'd they miss that? That's embarrassing. It's like agent malpractice. I mean, what are we doing here? Um, the schools, again, they need business people. I think that would be a good investment for ADs across the country. But, again, former Florida player, Javon Dexter, we'll see how this works out. Suing big league advance fund for the violations of Florida Iowa agency. I also, so, like, Fernando Tatis, I think, was with this same agency, and he's having some issues. Uh, and then the shortstop for the Reds, slip his, slip, his name slips my mind real fast, but he is also – um, with that agency as well. So I thought that was I thought that I thought that was real interesting as well. But moving on, I told you we're talk a little round ball on this one. Call me crazy. Dave, we're going to week two what are we talking about college basketball for? Remember, we covered this is this is mock 10 sports, the big three sports in the SEC football, basketball, and baseball. And you know what? The SEC released its 23-24, really 2024 conference basketball schedule for this upcoming season. Just a few takeaways before we get into it. Kentucky, I mean, from for, for my standpoint right here, I mean, you got a little bit of a, I mean, this is Florida's, this is Florida's schedule right here, a five-game stretch, call me crazy here, Kentucky at Florida, I mean, at Ole Miss, Arkansas, at Tennessee, at Missouri, Mississippi State, that's a six-game stretch, right? Here. that's brutal for Florida. That's brutal for Florida. We'll get to Florida here in a minute. Just kind of stuck out to me there. Kentucky at Ole Miss. I think it's going to be an improved team with first year head coach Chris Beard. Arkansas, from top to bottom, most talented, probably group in the league. At Tennessee, Thompson Bowen. rumored it's getting, Tommy Bowles getting renamed. I forget what it is. But at Tennessee, always tough. At Missouri, yeah, I can see Dennis Gate's squad going down a little bit. So I don't, I could see Missouri being that team. That isn't as tough as they were last year. I mean, they 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 lost some of their better players, Kobe Brown being one The Mississippi State, I think Mississippi State's gonna be pretty good too. I think both Mississippi schools are gonna be good. Uh Mississippi State got a couple of freshmen, the Marshall transfer to come over um as well. they can get any kind of offense production, the defensive, the defensive guys are back. The start four out of their starting fives back between Tolu Smith, um, a couple other guys, Matthews. It's it's is uh Mississippi State's gonna be pretty good from watching them over their overseas tournament. I think it was in France or France or Spain. They looked pretty good. They looked pretty good. They they can get some offensive scoring going. Watch out for Mississippi State, potential Sweet 16 team. Call me crazy. Another one we got. Again, I talk with my buddies all the time. The biggest rivalry in the SEC right now is the Nadot versus Eric Musselman rivalry. Two totally different people. Two totally different styles. And I mean, Alabama's had a lot more regular season success, head to head success, championship success. Not as much tournament success, but Alabama hasn't not had tournament success. Two Sweet 16 appearances in three years. But Mus and the boys, what is that, three, four years in a row, they I mean, back-to-back Elite Eight performances, Sweet 16 out of nowhere this year with a team that finished 10th in the SEC. Mus knows how to press the right buttons come March. Uh, But, again, my point being in this one, Alabama-Arkansas in Tuscaloosa to end the year. Last game of the regular season in Coleman Coliseum. Now, I'll give Arkansas fans this a little bit. They've gotten kind of screwed – in the scheduling, because Arkansas has had to go to Tuscaloosa, to Coleman Cousin for five straight seasons. This is the only matchup this year. This is the only matchup. Two years ago, it was the only matchup, and it was in Tuscaloosa. Arkansas hasn't got that trip back when it's just been a one-game um, mat- matchup this year. When Alabama and Arkansas have only played once. Where they played twice last year. Alabama went in both. But when it's just been a one-game when they've only played each other once in a season, it's usually in Tuscaloosa. So I get the gripe there from the Razorback fans. Tennessee, they have a rough stretch as well. I've noticed a three-game rough stretch. At AM, Auburn at home, and at Alabama, that'll be tough. at the end of the year. Uh, and really, the whole SEC, before we wrap this up, obviously I know it's football season. We're going to get to football. A lot of the SEC will depend on how good Ole Miss and Florida really end up being. That's really what it's going to be. I mean, Florida essentially overhauled their whole roster, lost their best player, uh, Colin Castleton, uh, Ole Miss – brought in a bunch of guys. Murray's going to be a good player. Matthew Morrell's back, which feels like he's been playing since Pete Miravich played at LSU. I mean, Matthew Morrell's been on the team for a while. Chris Beard, they're going to be really good defensively and they're going to rebound. I think Ole Miss is going to be a potential fringe bubble team on the hardwood this year. But I think the SEC, how deep it is, I think one through eight, nine is going to be very competitive. Again, how good are Ole Miss and Florida going to be? Can a team like LSU or Georgia kind of step up to raise the bottom, to raise the floor of the league as well? Continuing off around the SEC, good article I read today. Chris Lowe, uh, Texas A&M article. He spent, the day, he spent a couple of days with Texas A&M, I think, throughout fall game. He did an article on Jimbo Fisher and about the relationship with Bobby Petrino so far. Pretty interesting read. Not a lot of stuff you don't already know, but if you have some time, Chris Lowe always does a great job. Talk to him pretty regularly. He does a great job of uh, bringing the behind-the-scenes stuff um, from your favorite team um, to the pen and paper in real, real layman's term that anyone can use. But again, Chris Lowe did a good job behind the scenes at Texas a I go check that out. And then finally, I know this isn't the SEC, but I just want to get into it just real quickly. Uh, obviously, you saw a North Carolina's Tez Walker, uh, the transfer that was ruled uh, or suspended or ruled ineligible against South Carolina last week, is now ruled ineligible for the entire season. Mack Brown, I'm not going to read it to you, sent like a page-long statement out on, from the North Carolina football Twitter account if you want to go look at it. I've never seen a coach go after the NCAA as hard as he has, or did. I mean, he just totally attacked him. And I get it from both sides. But at the same time, this is something Mac bro people are going to pat Mac Brown on the back, and I think he does a great job. Good guy from what I know about him. Um, but, again, he's the guy that's kind of been complaining about the transfer portal. They don't need to go to the one-time transfer. And he's kind of been complaining about setting that up. Well, the NCAA kind of drew a line here. And said, hey, like, no, he's already used his one-time transfer from North Carolina Central. And I think the thing that's getting lost is it brought – I mean, he got his 2020 COVID season, Tez Walker did, transfer from North Carolina Central, if I remember right. Sorry, correct me if someone's wrong, if I'm wrong. But, I mean, he says he wanted to get back home. I mean, he went and visited Rutgers in New Jersey and New York City. I mean, I think that's a little bit of the cop-out. I get the complaint. Usually these coaches are not going to go complain about the NCAA stuff until it's affecting their own team. And I think that's where we are right now. I get it. Mac Brown's frustrated. I mean, I think some teams are like, well, I mean, look at JT Daniels and his sixth, seventh year quarterback at Rice. Like, when does his transfer stop? Oh, but you're telling me my guy's Tez Walker, who is from North Carolina, can't transfer. I mean, he was at North Carolina Central, so he's already in his in uh, home state, but wanted to stay there, dude. I think some family reason too. He can't go up. Why is He not a immediately eligible and why is he suspect why is he ineligible for the whole season I mean I get these thought processes I really do but at the same time it is what it is I mean it, they have the problem is there has to be uniformed transfer rules it's got to be a if you're a kid or a family member of anyone listening to this show that has a college collegiate athlete just remember just to be safe. You may sneak through a loophole and get two transfers. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you get one transfer, um, and you get your grad transfer. So kind of think about that. And if you're a COVID kid, I mean, you get the extra year too. But really get the two free transfers, including the one free transfer and the grad transfer. So just think about it really one, if you're someone who's mentoring somebody who's in the collegiate athletics game right now, and it's just that simple. If we transferred once and I'm trying to transfer again, I may get held up. But, again, it has to go back to the NCAA just – setting hard guidelines of this transfer stuff. I think sometimes they were like, well, coaches, you wanted the, like, like who is the tight end? He tried to uh, forget what his name, Luke, uh, somebody tight end went to Georgia, was wanting to transfer to Illinois because his grandpa was sick, but he couldn't get cleared. But Justin Fields got cleared immediately at uh, – from Georgia to go to Ohio State when he claimed a lot of racial stuff, which obviously would happen in the stands, we're not going to get into it, it was wrong – but he claimed he feared for his life but yet his sister stayed there and played on the track team. It doesn't make sense. It's all over the place. There's no it's a bunch of gray area waivers are being issued. The waivers have to stop. Let's just draw the line today and say, "Hey, if you've transferred, you're not grandfathered in, you're there." And I get it. People are like, "Well, that's not fair. Well, life isn't fair." But thing this stuff just gets real frustrating. Just because I think at times we just totally We just totally forget that the NCAA has really no governance. And and here, if I'm North Carolina, it's easy for me to say, I would let him play. What are they going to do? Well, I I asked somebody that today who would know, well, it could be a um, lack of institutional control. According to WHO, the NCAA is a dying organization every day, every moment it passes by. Currently, right now, it is seven eighteen In seven nineteen. They were slowly dwindling to even being more irrelevant. Let him play. What are they gonna do? It's slowly becoming a bot, a governing body that is not gonna matter. I would let him play. It's easy for me to say. I'm not the one. I'm not an AD. I'm not the one having to go answer to my president and stuff. Because again, you know, some of these presidents don't care about athletics. But again, just it's ridiculous at it, this point right now. Hey, if you transfer once, you can't transfer again. Put a, let's draw a hard line in the sand here. Let's some adult here. Let's go make a decision here because it's all over the place, man. And, again, some of it's coaches. Coaches whine about the transfer portal. shouldn't be able to transfer until it's affecting their own team. So it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Don't act like Tez Walker is just totally innocent here. He talked about he wanted to get back home, but yet he took an official visit up to Rutgers in New Jersey when he's from North Carolina. Didn't really hold a lot of weight to me. And, again, I know this wasn't an SEC topic, but just wanted to bring it up. Getting out of a little bit of a round the sec let's talk about some matchups around the sec coming up that aren't the big ones about to share my screen with you here hold tight with me here let's do, do bring up the sec schedule here perfect all right vanderbilt wake force it's an early kickoff 10 a.m. central standard time zone on the acc network vanderbilt 10 and a half point dog right now 10 and a half point dog Commodore's rolling in 2-0, trying to become the first team in college football this year to get to 3-0. Wake Forest took it to him last year. Uh, Vanderbilt, I, let's be honest, guys, have not looked very good in their first two matchups against Hawaii and Alabama a and I think it was 5-2 at one point against Alabama last week. Vanderbilt kind of exploded, ran away with it in the second half with Alabama A&M. But a lot of people doubting Vandy here. The thing that I will say Vanderbilt may have here is Wake Forest isn't going to see the length that Vanderbilt's, Vanderbilt's a long defensive line. They're getting some guys back. The quarterback, I forget his name, Griffiths for Wait, wait for us. Pardon. I forget his last name. But he's a 5'10 and a half, 5'11 quarterback. They haven't seen that yet. They played Elon last week, looked pretty good. Uh, but again, I think Vanderbilt could create some havoc up front for him. But again, God, can Vanderbilt's secondary cover anyone? It is a poor, poor group. It, it's not a good group. But on the flip side of that, Vanderbilt's got. Some very winnable, winnable plus wide receivers outside on the on the backside. I mean, you got Seth McGowan, Will Shepard, guys like that. And I, and I like AJ Swan. Got a little Brett Farvish to him, a little Jay Cutler. Sorry, using the Vanderbilt issue or um analogy there. But again, I think he's one of the best, I think he's the best quarterback ceiling-wise. Some call him, some call me crazy with Kyle Shermer, but I think he's the best quarterback from a ceiling-wise they've had probably since Jay Cutler. Call me crazy. He can make some plays if he gets enough time if he gets enough time, because if he gets pressure on his feet from the interior of the defensive line against Wake Forest, and Dave Klaus and them do, the Wake, the Wake Forest head coach, and them do a fantastic, fantastic job scheming up that. My concern with Vanderbilt here, guys, we didn't get in a major breakdown of this, but this would be the, probably the sixth game we need to talk about. It's just, are they going to give Are they, they going to A.J. Swan enough time? And it, even if they get up 14 nothing, can they hold it? Because the secondary is so bad. I think Vanderbilt's getting some guys back from health. From injuries that they haven't had the first two weeks this week. But again, an early kickoff, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Plus they're giving Vanderbilt 10 and a half. Kind of like Wake here. Remember, Bet My Life, nothing in return on TikTok. The over-under win total this year. Vanderbilt minus the or the team win total three and a half. I took the over. I like the doors. I still kind of like the doors. My guy Tyler Siski's always always giving me crap about it. I mean, he does, he doesn't think they'll win another game. I mean, they got UNLV left, but this is one of those. If they want to get if you if you're cheering for Vanderbilt, hit the over three and a half win total. This is one they may need. This is one they may need to get. Certainly next week, they, like I've said, they need after the Hawaii game. You kind of saw some chinks in the armor. They need to split the Wake Forest UNL, UNLV game. It could start this week, but I don't think it does. Just have too much respect for Dave Clawson. Them, they're going to come up with a good defensive scheme to be an AJ Swan's face think a lot. Vanderbilt will kind of have some of their explosive plays too, because I like the receivers. Plenty good enough to win, but I think ultimately Wake Forest gets the job done. Ball State at Georgia. Georgia, again, getting a little tune up before their first SEC matchup against South Carolina next week. 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff on the SEC network. I can see this being a little another groany game. I think Georgia's favored by 41 and a half in this one. Georgia fans are like, what's going on with Carson Beck? Like, why are we not scoring 56? Dang it, Bobo. What are we doing? You couldn't sniff Todd Munkin's Strap. All right. I mean, let's be honest here. Georgia didn't come out and light the world on fire last week against who of them? Uh, who, who, who did Georgia? Uh, UT Martin, Skyhawks, last week. Again, I can see a little bit of it this week. Ball State, I mean, look at the time. It's 11 a.m. If you really think Georgia – just players in general, college players of all time, especially in today's time, though, really going to get fired up for Ball State. Think again. I look for Georgia Georgia to come out next week really hot, really hot, looking really good. We're going to talk about how Georgia kind of slept, through the first two weeks, but I think they're going to put us on notice again next week at Sanford Stadium in Athens when the South Carolina Gamecocks come to town. I mean, if North Carolina, who who is improved in the defensive line, Racked up nine sacks and held South Carolina to negative two rushing yards last week in Charlotte. What is Georgia going to do in Sanford Stadium? Add in the fact Kirby Smart does not like Shane Beamer, and he'll run up the score if he gets a, if he gets a shot. I'm telling, you, I'm telling you. Shane Beamer is not very liked around the league. I kind of get it from stories I've heard. Kind of don't from what you see on the surface. I don't know Shane Beamer like that. But it's interesting. Apparently Kirby Smart will run the store score up on him. That's one guy in the league in Florida, no matter who's the coach that he will go run the score up on those teams or that guy whoever Shane Beamer's coaching and or and whoever is the head coach at the University of Florida. But Georgia should cruise here 41 and a half. It's a lot of points to give up. I don't know if I touch that. But again, I think Georgia could start off a little slow. Wouldn't shock me though if Georgia's up 42 to nothing at half. Just put it that way. Look for Georgia to peak next week though. Kirby's going to have those boys attention next week. Eastern Kentucky at Kentucky 2 p.m central standard time zone on SEC Network Plus or ESPN Plus. Kentucky gets to ease into their schedule a little bit before their first big game is when the when Florida comes to town in a couple weeks. When Florida comes to town in what? I think 2 to 3 weeks Florida comes into town. I'd have to look at the schedule again. Uh yeah, I think it's in about 3 weeks. Um that's really Kentucky's kind of got an easy stretch rolling up. Let me pull it up real fast just to get the schedule up cuz I want to talk about this. Kentucky, I mean cuz Kentucky's got a little bit of time to get things right. They didn't look great last week. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Kentucky this week, Akron at home next week, at Vandy, and then Florida comes to town. Then it gets real. They go to Athens. That's why I think Kentucky's going to be 5-0, rolling into Athens. But specifically this week, they should get the job done against the Colonels, Eastern Kentucky. They should get the job done. But just continue to watch that offensive line. I mean, last week, Kentucky got a defensive score, special team score, made the off, made the score look a little worse than it actually was if you just looked at the box score. If you went back and watched the game, there were still some issues with that Big Blue Wall, Kentucky's offensive line. That's the nickname for it if you're just new to the show. But, but uh, Kentucky should be able to get some push against Eastern Kentucky. And I know teams, I know people are always, well, you can't take a lot off. Uh, like For example, this week, you can't take a lot off the Rice-Texas game. I've been seeing that a lot. I get it. Texas didn't open up the playbook. Georgia didn't open the playbook against UT Martin. Alabama didn't really open the playbook up against Middle Tennessee State. A lot of blitzing there from Middle Tennessee State. But my point being, you can still tell – from getting pushed from your offensive line against their defensive line. You we'll get in that, we'll talk about Texas here in a bit. I'll have some film to back that up. But you have to you have to take it. You have to Kentucky needs to lean on eastern Kentucky. I, I'm real interested to see yeah, this game's at two, two, three. I'll be honest with you. I'll probably be keeping up with this game, won't be fully engaged watching it. I'll go back and watch it, but I want to see Kentucky get some push from that offensive line. Let's rotate some offensive linemen. Let's 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 don't have Devin Leary in in the court in, in this game in the second half. But let's work on the things we need to get to. Let's let Liam Cohen and him iron those wrinkles out. Because again, they probably got about another week or two to do it. Don't want to say a conference game against Vanderbilt when you start wrinkling stuff out. Just we'll, I mean, we'll find out with Vandy for two in the next two weeks. See how good they are for Kentucky bases But again, they got this week against Eastern Kentucky to figure it out and against Akron to figure it out. Um, We'll get to these other games in just a minute. 3 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff. Kent State at Arkansas on the SEC Network. Kent State, the Golden Flashes, took the loss to UCF in the night last week. Pretty big fashion. Kent State looked better a little bit in the second half. Arkansas got a big win against the Catamounts of Western Carolina. I I just wanted to see Arkansas start fast last week, and they did. I mean, again, I don't think you're going to get a lot out of this game for – against Kent State a little bit more than you would Western Carolina. But, again, I want to see Arkansas come out. I think Arkansas's is favored by 38-and-a-half. Start quicker. Start quicker. I know the defense is going to play with their hair on fire. I know they're going to play hard. That's what Travis Williams' is bread and butter is, a relationship with his players. They're going to play to a standard from an effort standpoint. And, again, these are college football players, SEC players. We shouldn't be asking that. But you'd be surprised. We shouldn't be talking about effort, but you'd be surprised. Oh, I want to see a little bit. Better interior play on the offensive line. I know they're banged up a little bit uh, at Arkansas, and Sam Pittman said. But, again, got to start getting some of these wrinkles out. BYU, the Cougs come to town next week. That'll be Arkansas's first real test before um, they head to Baton Rouge for their first SEC game. I know, usually that game's used to be when I was a kid, late, uh, the last game of the regular season. Now, what, it's fourth game of the regular season? So, uh, we'll get to that one here in just a minute. So, we'll continue with that one. But 38-and-a-half uh, – I don't know. It's just just a lot of points. I'm not going to touch that one. If I had to bet, maybe I'd probably go Arkansas. I'd probably go Arkansas, though. But, again, Arkansas trying to iron out those wrinkles before we really get into some play starting next week. I mean, they're going to be tested some next week. BYU's got enough guys to really test Arkansas. But, again, just start fast, Arkansas. That's what I'm looking for. But, again, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on the SEC network. 4 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick. Austin P. the Govs. Coming over from Clarksville, heading to Knoxville Neyland Stadium. Again, 4 p.m. Central their time zone kickoff on SEC plus, ESPN plus. Looks like it'll be after that Kentucky game. Tennessee, let's just see Joe Milton. I mean, they're not going to really get tested. They got the trip to Gainesville to the swamp next week. See, they already came out with some lines. Tennessee, only a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Florida. I knew that would happen. I knew that would happen. They're a little concerned about Tennessee going on the road for their first real road game this year And Joe Milton. We'll see. But Joe Milton, got to take those shots. problem I got with Joe sometimes is Joe will go overthrow a receiver on his first deep shot, then the next shot Hypo comes back to, whether it's to who, to Ramil Keaton, Squirrel White, whoever it is, shorter, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, he'll underthrow it. He gets in his head. It doesn't come natural to him. That's where he's got to settle in. And that's where I think next week against Florida is going to be real important. That's going to be real important. H- how does he handle adversity? I mean, what if they get down real fast? Because I think Billy Napier and them are going to come out with a different plan and not be as – I'll be interested to see. I don't think they're going to be as conservative as they were last week. That game's tricky next week. I mean, Bay- Tennessee just needs to get out of this game healthy against Austin Peay. They, I mean, they do. Four o'clock game shouldn't be too bad. But Tennessee, I didn't even see a line on this game. Tennessee is going to win this football game, but they need to work. Joe Milton needs to – I mean, all we heard all fall camp was Joe Milton didn't have an interception. I know I'm talking about hand, talent, and touch, but they Joe Milton needs to start being more consistent. He overthrows him. Hey, let's come back to it. Let's don't be under it. Let's don't change what we're doing here. It's like a baseball player or a golf player. Hey, we hit one bad shot. Let's don't go change up our swing now. Let's don't go change up our swing. We are who we are. Joe Milton's a solid quarterback. Josh Heupel produces good quarterbacks within this system. Keyword being within the system. But again, Josh Heupel not paid to go put quarterbacks into the NFL. He's paid to go win games. I think Tennessee, again, I've said it all season or to that point now. Eight nine wins should be expected every year for Tennessee. But again, I want to see a little bit more consistency out of Joe Milton. Again, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick on the on SEC Network plus ESPN Plus. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick. Interesting game here, I'm telling you. Middle Tennessee State. Remember, they took a loss to Alabama uh last week in Bryant Stadium in week one. Head to Columbia to face the Missouri Tigers. SEC Network Plus ESPN Plus matchup. This game should probably be a little bit of a yeah, if it was for the Arizona-Mississippi State game on SEC Network. But it's a trap game. The line's 21, 21 and a half. I saw Middle Tennessee State, a very aggressive defensive team, a lot of run blitzing. Again, if Brady Cook or Sam Horn cannot take advantage, because they're, they're not going to allow – Middle Tennessee State, Rick Stock still, and uh, Cook Schaefer, the defensive coordinator for Middle Tennessee State, they're not really going to allow you to run on them. Go watch the Alabama game against them. Alabama, I think, got pretty good push for being out – man or had it at times they, there wasn't a hat for a hat i mean they were blitzing a b and c gaps and it's a gamble at times because if you're blitzing the wrong gap i mean it's another one it's open but again minnesota state did a pretty good job guessing they're going to give up one-on-one situations and dare you to go take advantage of that they did last week Jalen Milro made them pay a little bit this week though was with brady cook and sam horn rotating last year last week it's going to be interesting Again, you got it because they have outside weapons: Luther Burden, Mookie Cooper, Theo Weiss coming over from Oklahoma. Missouri has the weapons. They're going to have to take advantage because those plays are going to be there. I mean, I don't think they're going to run that well in Middle Tennessee State, anyways. I mean, middle, Missouri got struggled to get pushing against South Dakota last week. South Dakota last week. I think Missouri's going to be fine. This game's going to test them. Twenty-one and a half is a lot. Oh, and factor in this could be they could be looking past this game, sleeper game, because you know who comes to town next week? Kansas State returns the trip that. From Missouri going to Manhattan last year, that massive rain, torrential downpour game, Missouri just got embarrassed. There's a big break in it. I think the game took about five hours. Missouri sat there and got their brains beat 42, 49, 14, I think, for a long time. Rough game to go through. Kansas State comes to Columbia next week. If you don't think Missouri's got their eye on that, you need to be examined. I'm telling you, it's just the way it works. These guys are looking ahead. They probably just saw Bama kind of manhandle these guys. Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State's a better football team than people think. Defensively, they're going to challenge Missouri. I'm just telling you. Missouri doesn't take advantage of the one-on-one opportunities, but they're better wide receivers than what Middles, Middles got on the back end. But if Brady Cook or Sam Horn are leaving them or overthrowing guys or underthrowing guys and not taking advantage of it, this game's going to come down in the fourth quarter, and you're going to cover 20, and a half easily. I'm just telling you. That's just a little sliding under the table. If you're wanting some money, sorry, Missouri fans, I'm just telling you, I'm not betting this, but if, if you are, you're a brave person, but I go middle Tennessee State t- minus 21 and a half. It's gonna be a solid game, I think. It's all gonna be depending on if Missouri can take advantage of the place that will be there in the uh in the secondary. They got to take advantage of it. Gotta take it, but 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick on the SEC network, ESPN Plus. 6:30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, Grambling at LSU. And the SEC Network, ESPN Plus, there's a lot of those games this weekend. Uh, LSU trying to get back on track. Played Sunday night. Um, was obviously up 17-14 at half it's Florida State. We talked about it on Tuesday's episode. Physically dominated and bullied. People are going to call me crazy. Oh, it was only a seven-point game in the fourth quarter when Jaden Daniels threw the interception on Malik Neighbors when he slipped. And then they took over when Florida State went to the two-back formation. Yeah, but Florida State was bullying them. Those – Personal foul penalties on the sideline and stuff added up. It was like a boxing match. Just boom, 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 jab, knockout. Yeah, all right. Yeah, kind of a shot near the – below the belt. Rest breaking it up. That's the personal foul. But you know what? It adds up. LSU knew in their head, like, dang, dude, this team's fast and they're physical. Kind of look like some old Florida State teams. I'm not ready to crown Florida State national Championship. I mean, I have them in my playoffs. They should win the ACC. That's conversation for another day. LSU gets to go redeem themselves before a trip to Starkville next week against Mississippi State, against Gramblin, team they're familiar with. There'll be a ton of people in that stands just for the halftime show. But LSU, 6.30 p.m., such standard time zone, they should get this right. LSU just doesn't need to keep mounting up. What's scary in these games for a team like LSU, if I'm an LSU fan, is mounting up defensive injuries. Mounting up defensive injuries. That's what, that's what scares me. Again, if they get any injuries on the interior, Mason Smith, Makai Wingo, 18, who was a disruptive as hell against Florida State. And then Jordan Jefferson, the West Virginians here, they're in trouble. They get any injuries in the back end, they're in trouble. There are, they don't have a good secondary as it is. Not SEC championship calendar, caliber or college football playoff caliber secondary. People could be like, they're not a bad team, Dave, when I say, yeah, I mean, LSU, man, I mean, there's some things I don't know that can be fixed. I'm not saying they're a bad team. They're going to be 9-3. They're a 9-3 team. I said that going into the season. I told you we're going down a rabbit hole here a little bit, but I would be shocked if LSU doesn't lose one of these road games at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, or at Missouri. Call me crazy. But again, this is a game LSU just needs to get in, get their corrections right, and get healthy before they head to Starkville next week. Um, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, kickoff. McNeese, formerly known as McNeese State, the Cowboys heading to the Swamp, Gainesville on ESPNU. Florida trying to get back uh, in the win column after a tough one against Utah. It feels like Florida hadn't played in forever. I mean, that was last Thursday. It was a week ago tonight, uh, but it seems like a lot has happened. That Labor Day weekend, week one, always just, it's a lot. It's thursday through monday it's awesome but it's just a lot it feels like so many games happen and it, i mean it, it, they did a lot of it happened at once but florida similar to lsu needs to get back get their corrections right get graham mertz submerged into the system get him some simple throws try to develop guys like eugene wilson a young cat on the outside he needs to go help you win if florida's going to try to go get bowl eligible this year as crazy as that sounds i think six is going to be tough to get to with that schedule it's going to be really tough to get to McNeese state not very good just I think they got beat by 18-20 to last week when I was looking at it earlier in the week at Tarleton State. It's a solid FCS program, but again, Florida should win this game. Watch for the Florida offensive line here. If they can't get much push against McNeese State, it's not good. It's not good. It'd be similar to Vanderbilt. It'd be similar to uh, a Vanderbilt-Commodore type thing where they're struggling to get some push against Alabama A&M in the first half, and that's that's why I'm concerned with Vandy now, especially at three and a half over team win total I put in at the beginning of the year. But Florida, this is a get-back-right game before a big one, a big one next week. Obviously, we'll talk about it next week. Florida, six-and-a-half-point underdog going into it as of this moment before we played week two with Tennessee coming into the swamp. Florida's going to be like a caged dog back into a corner, man. If They don't have to go win the Tennessee game next week, but they have to look competitive. And Vegas obviously, obviously thinks this game's going to be competitive. Florida and their fans in their backyard with their backs against the wall. I think Billy is fighting for the season you lose this game, you look bad, you may lose the team. So this week you just need to focus on the corrections, getting guys more comfortable, and, again, kind of like LSU, staying healthy, staying healthy. Uh, 6 We'll get to this one. We're going to skip that one. And then 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time kickoff. This is an interesting one, kind of a sneaky one, another SEC network plus ESPN plus game. Furman, the Paladins, heading to, I guess you'd say, in-state rival. South Carolina fans will laugh at me and boo me off the stage with that. But South Carolina, it'll Willie really B, season opener at Williams Bryce Stadium, 6 30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Man, was Shane Beamer on one this week. Fuck, like he was attacking everybody. He was attacking the linesmen for uh, not eating their hot dogs fast enough at halftime against North Carolina this week. He called them out. He said the only thing that was embarrassing from last week uh, in his post game press conference was how long it took the linesmen to get out. Um, and the stick guys to get out after finishing their hot dogs. I mean, I thought the nine sacks were pretty embarrassing against the North Carolina defensive line. That was not very good. Oh, and minus two yards rushing, that was pretty embarrassing too. Um, But, again, the Furman Paladins weren't a unique system. South Carolina's going to have a bunch of guys out. I mean, I'm not going to read everything. They have a lot of guys out in this game. A lot of guys out in this game. Be careful. Be careful. I'm just saying, they go to Athens next week. Uh, right now, I don't know why they'd be looking forward to that game. It's Georgia's defensive line versus South Carolina's offensive line after the nine sacks and averaging negative two yards against one of the worst defensive fronts in the country last year in North Carolina. No offense, they got better. It could be trouble next week, but they have to get it right here. Furman, I thought Shane Beamer's already kind of previewed a little bit. This isn't going to be the prettiest game in the world. This isn't going to be the prettiest game in the world. He's already kind of stated, hey, a lot of guys are out. Furman's a solid football team. It is what it is, and I haven't seen a line on this one either. I mean, South Carolina again—they just, yeah—I I mean, don't think you're really able to tell a lot if they've improved on the offensive line against Furman. I mean, they're—they're they're not going to see that. It's going to be night and day difference from what they see this week. It's going to be one on one end of the spectrum to the other against Georgia next week. Maybe one of the bigger gaps I've seen in one weeks in a long time between one week in a long, long time. Um, but God, man, for if South Carolina. Does not look good in this game. The offensive line struggles, to get pushed, or is giving up sacks. Woo! It could be bad. It could be bad. It'd be worst case scenario. That that could be worst case scenario. But they should handle business. I'm not ready to say there's going to be an upset alert. But if this game's closer later in the third or in the fourth, I'm just telling you, it would not overly shock me. It would not overly shock me with that one. But those are the games before. We get in here uh, and start reviewing. Obviously, we're going to get to the Ole Miss at two lane game, Texas AM, Miami game. Remember, we got Carter coming on from 247 from the Gigum 247, uh, from the 247 Sports, CBS Sports, to come talk a little Miami, Texas AM. We also got Texas, Alabama, we're going to talk about right when he gets off. And we got Arizona, Mississippi State, and we got Auburn, Cal as well. Um, let's get the share of, off the screen here. So Carter should be joining us here in a minute. But you know what? We're gonna move up. We're gonna move up the old scroll down. Making money Thursday. Let's push it up. All right, it's time, guys. We got about four or five minutes before we get Carter in here. So let's go. Money making Thursday. Here we go. Seven and no Here we go. Colorado. We're leading it off, baby. I was wrong about them last week, but I'm taking them this week. Minus three. Give me the buffs against Nebraska at home. Uh, it's going to be probably one of the more raucous environments in Boulder since probably the 90s. Probably since the 90s when they were really good with the guys like Rashid Salam and guys like Cordell Stewart, guys like that. I like Colorado here. was not impressed with Nebraska into Minnesota last week. I think Colorado covers this one. Now, will they be sleepwalking? Talk, talk, I've thought about that, but also at the same time, Boulder's going to be rocking, dude. I mean, Prime is the king marketer. Um, does he talk a little too much? Sure, but that's his personality. I like Colorado this week, minus three against Nebraska. Not overly impressed with Nebraska, but I like Colorado. Um, Texas A&M, minus four and a half at Miami. Well, I mean, I'll give you my preview, but let's let's get into the picture right now. Texas A&M, minus four and a half at Miami. I like I like the Aggies here. I like the Aggies here. Uh, I'm really not concerned about the offense. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna come out arrogant. They're gonna come out here again this week. I think you're gonna really see why Texas A&M is gonna be really good on offense this week, this year. So it starts outside with the freak shows they have at wide receiver. And I think Connor Weidman is a gamer. A guy who can throw off different platforms, different arm angles. He's not gonna be the guy that goes wows you at practice if you just walk out there. But he's a guy that when the hey, when the lights turn on, he's a football player, man. He's gonna go make plays that you just can't emulate in practice. But I like the Aggies. Am I gonna ruin that one for you? Minus four and a half there. Here's another random game that I like. Maybe some insider trading here. UConn plus three and a half over Georgia State. Give me Jim Mora and the boys, baby. Give me the Huskies plus three and a half. This one right here is my great white Buffalo guarantee of the week. Great white Buffalo guarantee of the week is UConn plus three and a half over Georgia State. Give it to me, man. Why is UConn getting points in this game? They're the better football team. They're the better football team. I think UConn covers this easy. Remember, the great white Buffalo, guarantee of the week. UConn, the Huskies, plus three and a half over Georgia State. Alabama. We'll preview. I'm not going to get too much in that one. Give me the minus seven and a half versus Texas. Give me the minus seven and a half versus Texas. I think Alabama, It's one of those few games where Bryant-Denny Stadium, and again, we'll get into it, comes alive. I like the tie here. I like the tight here. Give me minus seven and a half. Uh, next one, UTSA minus 11. I, I like them against Texas State. I, I think they're going to cover double digits. Texas State coming off a big win against Baylor. I think G.J. Kinney and the boys, who I worked with, he was the offensive coordinator at, te- at uh, UCF when I was there, I think they come in sleepwalking a little bit. I think Jeff Trailer and UTSA are going to be pissed off after their loss after their loss to Houston last week, a game they think they should have won. I think they go make a statement this week. I I, I think they easily cover this one. This was almost the uh, – Great about well, Buffalo guarantee of the week as well. I like UTSA Roadrunners minus 11. And then Auburn Cal. There's going to be a lot of points scored in the old Pac 12 after dart late night kickoff between Auburn and Cal. I like what old Auburn's doing on offense. Cal, Jake Spavitol, new OC. Got a pretty good running back and Ott. Quarterback situation up in the air with Sam Jackson potentially being out. Who knows how that goes? Has Ben Finley become a full time guy? Is he the guy for him in this game? I think that's probably what it's leaning toward, but I like the over in this over 54 and a half. Auburn Cow. I think the over hits here feel pretty confident in that one. A lot of points scored in that late night matchup in the bay. And then Ole Miss Tulane. We're gonna go back to the over-under. I've been very successful in those. Just just telling you, heads up over 60. There's gonna be a lot of points scored. Ole Miss gonna put up a lot of points on Tulane. Tulane's best defender. Their linebacker is going to be out in this game. I believe it's Platt. It's Corey Platt will be out in this game. And then Tulane, two- I think Ole Miss has a lot of holes on that defense. I know they only gave up point, seven points to Mercer last week. but If you go back and watch the game, it, it some of it's scheme with Pete Golden, but also there's not a lot of great personnel in that back end. It's not a deep group. I think Tulane's going to get theirs too, but I think it also overall just hits the over at 62 and a half. So we'll circle back, but just the money making Thursday. Seven and zero picks right here, baby. Colorado minus three against Nebraska. Texas A&M minus four and a half at Miami. My Great White Buffalo guarantee of the week here. UConn plus three and a half over Georgia State. Alabama minus seven and a half versus Texas. UTSA and Jeff Trailer and the boys getting some revenge against Texas State. Minus 11. Auburn Cal over 54. Ole Miss Tulane over 62 and a half. But here we go, baby. Let's let's get Carter in here. Carter, what's going on, baby? Hey, nothing much, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. But hey, before we get on, we pronounce the last name. Is it Carols? Uh, Carls. 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 All right, so everybody, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. We have Car- Carter Carls coming on from 247 Sports, specifically Gigum 247 They do a great job um, over there on that website. That's what I get a lot of my stuff from there when I go read up on Texas A&M. But, again, joining us, the big matchup, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, Texas A&M at Miami. Carter, what are the thoughts through w- one game, one spring ball, one fall camp down in Aggieland right now?
1: There's a lot of optimism uh, compared to where, they're, where they were feeling, uh, I guess, uh, in January, right? I think December, January of, of last year, it couldn't have been more negative and just down. But you've seen A&M make a lot of changes since last season, whether it's getting some of the bad apples out of the program that had kind of permeated the culture here uh, or, you know, the offensive play calling, turning to Bobby Petrino. Uh, DJ Durkin uh, being more involved coaching the linebackers this season. So you've you seen these changes. You also saw, hey, pretty young team last year. They brought back everybody but three starters. Uh, they were pretty banged up last year as well. They, they entered this season a lot more healthy. Uh, so a lot more optimism. And they, they came into the New Mexico game where it's kind of like, well, we'll see. we'll see if it actually plays out the way we think it might. And I think a lot of Aggie fans – uh took a lot of positives from that game 52 to 10 against new mexico you know it's new mexico it's not like it's this uh, world beater or anything but uh the offense scored five touchdowns in its first five drives the defense held them under 100 yards and uh, for the most part it's a pretty p- clean game outside the beginning of the second half so i think you you had a lot of positives to take away from it for sure
0: no absolutely you i mean you go back and watch the games, like you said, I've seen you post stuff on Twitter all day today. You can tell the offense is the term it came to my mind a little bit more arrogant in a good way. Right. If that makes if that makes sense a little bit. Right. You're talking uh, about the move. Yeah, offense. Offense. I thought they looked more aggressive. It looked like really a lot of Bobby Petrino stuff, obviously, from Missouri State and Arkansas, but it just looked a little bit more arrogant i think kind of just from talking to guys in that village he's more of just a game I mean, it, as you probably heard i'm sure just more of a gamer it's like not going to come off as a great practice player but some seven on seven settings one-on-one settings have come off a little bit but god the guy can just throw off different platforms has a strong arm to throw it to the other hash across the field stuff like that i saw you were mentioning that kind of stuff on social media today but what is the feel for this specific game i, I was looking around do you feel like this game or the arkansas game in about two weeks is kind of the three weeks is kind of the must win Arkansas Auburn kind of game what's kind of the feel is there like an Aggieland is there kind of like a hey man we need to go win this game and look good doing it. It, it it's interesting I think it's kind of a springboard game for both Miami and Texas A&M potentially
1: yeah I mean I think if you ask any AM and fan uh, they'd say every game's a, a must win but, yeah. but Miami just because it's the first big game coming up I think it's, it's bigger for now just because this is a team that's going up against another team that also entered the season with a lot of questions. Uh, And I think if, if A&M were to spiral and and things were to not go very well, it would not give you a lot of confidence that, I mean, you could argue Miami might be like the sixth best team on the schedule. So somewhere Mm -hmm. around that range, fifth, sixth best team. So if you lose against the fifth or sixth best team on your schedule, that is not a good sign of what's, what's to come. And, You know, they're also coming off of a six-game road-losing streak. They haven't won a road game since 2021, so they lose another road game. You're thinking, well, man, how are they going to beat Ole Miss, LSU, Tennessee? Those are some of the other road games that they're going to be uh, facing this year. Um, But I I just think going into this game, like I mentioned this, but last year versus this year is so much different for both teams. I've talked about A&M for Miami. Having two new coordinators, uh, having two receivers that weren't in the game last year. Restrepo was, uh, I I believe, hurt; uh, his foot was hurt before that game. Didn't play. I don't think Colby Young was really uh, a big contributor at that point. Uh, They got a new freshman running back that's pretty good, Mark Fletcher. Uh, You know, just just a lot of differences. uh, And and Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, what to expect from him? Was really good in twenty twenty one. Pretty bad in 2022. Which one is it? What are we going to see? And so there's kind of a lot of mystery going into this game. And and I think that's why a lot of questions need to be answered in this
0: one. No, no, absolutely. It's like you said, you almost can throw that film out that low scoring affairs. Like you said, you got two different coordinators on Miami's side, obviously, a different coordinator on AM side on the offensive side of the ball. It's calling it now. So, like you said, new players, Restrepo's out. But outside, just from let's, let's hone in on matchup situations here. Outside of the and wide receivers versus Miami's secondary, what is another matchup that you think Texas AM can go take advantage of in this game?
1: Good question. That was going to be number one for me. I'd say number two, I want to see what this defensive line does because I felt like a lot of Miami fans will tell you that their offensive line is better this year, that – that they can establish the run and that, and that that's kind of maybe going to be their bread and butter. I, I know Tyler Van Dyke's obviously going to be a big part too, but this defensive line for AM just taking a lot of these guys taking a second year jump, right? Walter Nolan was somebody who really flashed against New Mexico, just was, was all over the place really. McKinley Jackson was another guy who, you know, wasn't very healthy last year, uh, played seven or eight games, when he played, he was great, but when he didn't play, it, it really showed with this defense. I thought him and Walter Nolan were phenomenal uh, against New Mexico uh, in a way that I think will translate. Edron Cooper at Linebacker is another guy who uh, I just thought he looked really instinctive, really fast, really aggressive, just seemed to, like, I think for him, he just hasn't really had the instincts, the feel. He's always had kind of the ability it's just sort of reading and reacting. And he showed that he had made that growth uh, against New Mexico. We'll see how it translates, but this defensive line is just so loaded with talent, former four and five-star guys. I mean, I, I started, uh, looked at the snaps, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, who was a former five-star recruit. Yeah. He had the 12th most snaps on the defensive line last week. And when he came into the game, he absolutely destroyed the center for New Mexico. It just completely drove him back like yeah. five yards. And so, I think it's a matchup, a mismatch, almost every matchup. I think this D line can take over games. And uh, I think, especially against the run, is where you're going to see that improvement with them this year.
0: No, I'm with you. I, I like the McKinley Jackson matchup versus Miami Center Matt Lee. I do. I think it's a, it's a good I think it's going to be in favor of the Ags. Like you said, I'm familiar with Gabriel Brown, Brownlow Dendy as well, Lakeland kid. We were recruiting him while I was at UCF. But on the flip side of that here, Carter. If you had to say there was a matchup the Hurricanes could exploit with the Aggies, where would that come in?
1: I would say cornerback, um, secondary, cornerback slash secondary. I think you saw a lot of positives from Josh DeBerry, the Boston College transfer in game one. I mean, I say a lot of positives. It was really positive. He had a, he was kind of everywhere in that he game. He was my
0: next question. I was gonna going to hit you on him, but you're hitting on him right now.
1: Yeah. But I think we got to see him do it against great competition. He was primarily a nickel at Boston College. He's flipping to the outside. I think he showed a lot of great things as a tackler and run support. He blitzed and got a sack on one play. Uh, We saw him get an interception uh, and a pass breakup. But just against these better receivers, the Colby Youngs of the world, the Xavier Restrepo's of the world, uh, how how are these corners gonna gonna hold up? Tyreek Chappelle's another question for me. You know he was he was good in that number two role last year behind Jalen Jones, but how will he look? Can, can he be a number one corner? Can he be all SEC level? Uh, I think he's he's talented. I think he can get handsy sometimes. I think he can get lost in coverage sometimes. Uh, so I, I don't know if the consistency is always there. Um, Not like he's a super lockdown guy. So yeah. I want to see how – I mean, Colby Young looked pretty dang good in that first game. I want to see how that translates in this next game for sure.
0: Here again with Carter Carls from 247 Sports, Giggum247. Carl, last question. We'll get you out of here. Appreciate you joining us. What will we be saying about Texas A&M come Sunday morning? The sun rises on Sunday. What are we saying?
1: I think people are going to start paying attention to this team – they're going to start paying attention to the offense. Um, It's really funny. I mean, I, a lot of people I've been very optimistic since this New Mexico game and really since preseason camp, just based off what I've seen, what I've heard. And it's not just a new Mexico sample size. Connor Wigman showed against LSU and Ole Miss last year, that he is more than capable of being a great quarterback. And then this receiving core uh, has been great too. And Bobby Petrino, uh, has the track record. So it's not like a one-game sample size to me. Uh, but I think finally doing it against competition that is considered, you know, at least decent or at least good, I think that's going to start to, you know, catch people's attention. If this team can put up, you know, in the 30s in points, like I think they will, at least, then I think yeah. um, I think people will pay attention to that and say, well, okay, this might be one of the better offenses in
0: the SEC. Absolutely. Well, Carter, I appreciate you getting on, guys. If you don't already follow him, go follow him at Carter Carls. Am I correct there, Carter? That is the Twitter sure. handle. Go follow him. A lot of great stuff on 247 at giggum 247 Carter, you, head, you heading to 305 this weekend? I sure am. I can't wait, man. All right, brother. All right, man. Well, hey, stay off South Beach for me. If you do, go have a drink for me, man. But I appreciate you hopping on, man. You have a great week. and Be safe out there. You too, man. I appreciate it. See you, bud. All right, guys, there Carter Carls. Remember 247, go give him that follow at Carter Carls. Uh 247 Gigum. They do gig them 247. They do a fantastic job covering the AG. I think T- Jeff Tarpley. Also, if you're interested in following some other AM stuff, Ag is another good place to go to as well. AM fans are listening. I'm sure you already know that as well. But it's predicting it's prediction time, guys. It is officially prediction time. We've already gone through a lot of the SEC, but we got five real games to cover, leading off Ole Miss. At Tulane, 2.30 p.m. since we're staying time zone on ABC. The Rebs, Ole Miss are cur- is currently favored by seven and a half. This is the return trip from, I think, 2021. That was just an epic downpour in Oxford. But here, we're setting the tone for you here. I don't really feel like we learned a lot for the Re- from the Rebs against week one against Mercer. I thought there were some holes defensively they need to shore up, but Tulane took me by surprise with their win against South Alabama. And the Wave were better than I thought, and really what anyone thought. This game has been circled on non-conference game of the year for both teams. Ole Miss fans and their powder blue—I think Ole Miss is going with the all-white, icy white drip. But Ole Miss, I think the fans are going to take over New Orleans, Ullman Stadium. Ole Miss should expect to win this game. If they don't, it's not going to be good. The pressure is going to be turned up a lane real quick. So we still got a lot to go. We still got a lot of games to go. Not this. If they—if they don't win this game, Ole Miss is probably in trouble. And the defense is in a lot worse shape than we think, than what we even anticipated. But Tulane, their main goal, their main objective, they're still trying to go prove they're the best group of five team and they can go compete with some of the best. I mean, if they win this game against Ole Miss, I mean, it's two out of, two out of your last three wins against, hell, three games going to run. I mean, USC, South Alabama is a good football team, too. And then Ole Miss. But where this game will be won, it needs to be the Ole Miss offense. The Rab offense is going to be too much for Tulane. I would be absolutely shocked if Ole Miss turns the ball over five times like South Alabama did last week. That's ultimately what did South Alabama in five turnovers. But South Alabama is a good offense. It's just it doesn't have the explosive weapons like Ole Miss is going to have. It's just a different animal with Lane Kiffin in that offense. Guys like Trey Harris, Louisiana Tech transfer, and Quinshon Judkins are due for big games here. They're due for big games here. But if they give if they gave Quinshon Judkins 15 carries against Mercer, what are they going to give him this game? Again, the depth of Ole Miss's running backs concern me. Will they ride in this game? I think so. Also, I mentioned earlier, Tulane's best linebacker, Corey Platt, will be out this game. He was their leading tackler. That's going to be a massive advantage for Ole Miss. I've stated before, this is one of the few SEC games heading into the season that I was most confident in. Came in at number two, I believe, if I'm correctly, just after uh, the South Carolina-Tennessee game. But if Ole Miss takes care of the football, this will be a classic game under Lane Kiffin where they just outscore their opponent. Prediction. Give me Ole Miss 42 38. If you want to keep an eye on anything, Ole Miss fans, it's keep an eye on the defense. You'll have a better idea of this Ole Miss defense, this Rebel defense in general, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening after this game. It's Chris Pratt, that qu- quarterback for Tulane and the boys. I've seen him in person. He's a good player. He's a good player. But, again, Ole Miss should be able to handle this. I'm not saying that you're not going to give up some plays, but be real careful with that Ole Miss day. Another thing to keep on that I'm adding on, how many carries Quinchon Judkins gets? Because we. – does Lane Kiffin start putting a lot of miles on those tires early in the season? But back to the game. But I think this game is going to be close back and forth for about a half. Even if Tulane was fully healthy and Platt was playing on defense, Ole Miss would ultimately be too much for a Greenway defense. The Rebs start to separate in the second half and run all the way to the French Quarter for some celebrity, celebratory, I should say. Beignets and a solid non-conference win that gets the Rebs to 2-0. and oh. At the start of this 2023 campaign. Rebs 42 28. Heading ran to start vol misses big rival, baby. Arizona at Mississippi State, 6 30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, SEC Network. Mississippi State currently favored by nine and a half. We're setting the tone for you here with this one. Look, a lot of people, I think, in the Southeast are not going to be overly familiar with Arizona. Mississippi State fans will just because they, they played in Tucson last year. Game was kind of back and forth. State, I think, ended up winning by, like, about 14. But this is a solid football team. I think Arizona's a solid football team as I'm talking about. This is a 6-7 win team here, guys. Just accept they have a really good quarterback in Jaden DeLora. He's going to make some plays. He's going to make some plays. Just accept it. But he's also likely to turn it over a little bit at times, too, if, if pressured. I, again, I think Arizona's going to be a good football team this year. 6-7 wins. This is Jed Fish's third season in Tucson. Came over. He was the quarterback's coach for New England before he got the job in Tucson. Third season brought in a lot of transfers on defense defensively. They got some question marks, but they brought a lot of transfers on defense to shore that up. I was watching him the other day, Bill Norton, Georgia fans will be familiar with, former SEC guy, Memphis guy, looked pretty good defensive to up front against who they played, Northern Colorado, Northern Arizona, I know Northern Arizona. They were controlling that line of scrimmage. Mississippi State, key for the dogs here. They got to start a lot faster than they did last week. I mean, it was 10-7 to against Southeastern late in the first half. It may even be tied at half. I forget about that. i watched so many games this week. It's a very interesting game, in my opinion. State's going to have to start fast. But because I think Arizona's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, heading into year three with Jed Fish, if they can go pick up a road win at an SEC school, whew, it may get Jed Fish an extension, especially if he goes to a bowl game. And, again, I think the Pac-12, we're going to talk Auburn Powell here in a bit. From top to bottom, it may be the most – there may have the most parity in college football, the Pac-12. 12. The last year, the Pac-12 from top to bottom may have the most parity in the league. Top heavy, no. But I'm to about. I'm telling you, Cal and Arizona are improved teams. From a state perspective, this would be a massive first win for Zach Garnett, no matter how many you draw it up. If you go and dominate this game, woo! It's gonna be a lot of people. Uncle Mo, Uncle, If you don't know Uncle Mo, Uncle Momentum is his full name. Is gonna be fully with Mississippi State as LSU comes to town next week. But they need to focus on the task at hand because it's a sneaky bunch with a very good quarterback in Jayden Delaura. Night game under the lights, wide out at Davis Way Stadium. Where this game will be won, here it is, State's front seven. State's front seven. The offense is going to bounce back to an extent in this game. I think Kevin Barbe is going to have a good plan. The Arizona State still has some holes that Will Rogers and um, Jaquivius Marks and the boys can take advantage of. The defensive front seven for State, though, they're going to have to control Jayden Delaura, get in his face, force some turnovers. And I'm telling you, Arizona is going to try to get some mismatch advantages against Mississippi State's inside linebackers, specifically Jet Johnson. If you go watch the game against Southeastern, Mississippi State's linebackers look slow. Their inside backers look slow. I think an NFL guy like Jed Fish is going to be able to see that with a talented quarterback, Jaden Delora. Look for some angle routes, man. Look for some angle routes there. Look for some crossers. Mess concepts. Arizona is going to try to get some running backs in some one on one situations with the linebacker, specifically Jet Johnson. Like I said, speed is a concern for Mississippi State at the linebacker position. However, State does have the advantage in the trenches, hands down. One thing that needs to improve is just keeping containment on the edges. Last week, some of those Lions, Southeastern Lions, got to the edge of Mississippi State. I noticed that when watching the film. But the defensive line, I think, is going to have to carry the load in this game for Mississippi State. My prediction. I think it's gonna be a close one. Remember, Mississippi State favored by nine and a half in this one. I was close to taking Arizona, taking the points. I think it's gonna be close. Mississippi State thirty-two, Arizona twenty-eight. This game's gonna be closer than people think. Like I keep mentioning Arizona is gonna be a better football team. They're gonna look up in December they're gonna have a six. They're gonna be six, seven wins. We're gonna be looking at what bowl game they're going to. Something like the Arizona Bowl. But at the end of the day, I think this is a very intriguing game that really nobody's talking about. Country in the country. And they, I mean, they really shouldn't. But regionally. And from a standpoint, it's a big win for Zach. This is a big game for both teams. Zach Grant needs to get off to a good start against his first power five team in non-conference play. And this is a big opportunity for Jed Fish and his Arizona team. And if you don't think they know that going in, there will be a hungry bunch. There'll be a hungry bunch. But State's going to start faster this week on offense and will ultimately outlast the Jaden delora led Arizona team. Arizona will make some plays offensively, but the State defensive line ultimately takes over the game late. And with the guys on the defensive line from Mississippi State, like Jaden Crumity, Demonte Russell, they will be the difference up front. Give me Mississippi State in a, fir- in a close one, 32-28. Next, we're going a little Pac-12 after Doc. Auburn at Cal in the Bay Area. It's Berkeley, baby. 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. This game will come on right after the Alabama-Texas game. Auburn is currently favored by 6.5. Setting the tone for you in this one. Cal. Coming in after a 1-0, after a solid win on the road against North Texas, Justin Wilcox, like he's been at Cal now for a long time, had to get something going on offense, really struggling on offense last week, last year in 2022. You know who he brought back? The guy he had to go, his biggest candidate to get the head coaching job at Cal, Jake Spavitol. Jake Spavitol coming back for another ten years as the offensive coordinator at Cal. He was the offensive coordinator in 2016, went and got the job at Texas State. Now he's back. Now he's back at Cal. The Bears better football team this year. Go watch them against the Mean Greenies, North Texas. last week. You can tell this game presents is going to present a unique challenge to Auburn. Just for listening to Hugh Freeze all week, you can tell Auburn under him are not. They're not going to go schedule many more West Coast games. You can tell it's going to. He thinks this is going to affect his team. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair though, because as good as Auburn looked offensively last week, there were a lot of holes in that Auburn defense. That Ron Roberts defense. They got to get that figured out. Jake all a good offensive mind. He's going to find those holes and exploit them at least every now and then. But big question mark here is quarterback TCU transfer for Cal Sam Jackson is questionable. It looks like a shoulder injury. Wilcox didn't really go specifically. Ben Finley picked up last week, the NC state transfer. Um, He, I think, I think you're going to see him in this game. I think you're going to see him look solid against North Texas, Um, but this is a cross country road trip can be overanalyzed at times, but it's real. I mean, just depending how early you get out there. I mean, Florida decided, I think they spent like a day in Dallas, then they went to Salt Lake City. I think Auburn's going tonight after their practice heading over to Cal. I mean, again, it's a late night. It's a long time. Again, always well, – we never went West Coast, but when I was on staff at A&M with Jimbo Fisher, it's a Jimbo Fisher thing. When he was at Florida State, now they do it at a and They travel two nights ahead. They'll practice, eat dinner take a late flight to wherever they're going, and they're there for a while. So if you play at night on Saturday, it's almost two full days. A lot of your guys are sitting there. That can affect some college kids, just especially with the attention spans of guys now. you got to be able to entertain your guys. Don't let them peak too early, but you also still need to get them locked in. That could be a challenge. It's a little overanalyzed at times, but it's also a real thing. Um, and like I said, I think Auburn's going to be challenged this game. And if they turn the ball over and give up some explosive plays on defense, this they could easily lose this game because I think Cal's that – improve. I think Cal is a better football team this year, but where this game will be won, it's Auburn's front seven versus Cal's offensive line. I mean, Cal's offensive line was poor last season, but again, in the first game against the main green, they put up a cool 347 on the ground. and A lot of that had to do with, I know Auburn knows about it, but running back Jaden Ott, very good player, ran all over North Texas last week. Auburn's defensive line needs to show out here. I know it it's a ceiling, it's a low ceiling group, but why Cal's improved i mean let's be honest they're improved some you're gonna see much better offensive lines later on in your schedule if you're auburn so if you go and struggle give up 175 200 rushing yards to this cow team smell trouble for auburn down the road defensively i this is a good litmus test for auburn here it's a good litmus test this is a team you should have success though if you're auburn stopping the run. guys like jason jones oregon transfer justin rogers the Kentucky transfer on the interior for Auburn. Marcus Harris, a Kansas transfer, and Elijah McAllister. Those guys need to have big days. Those four guys need to have big days against this Cal front. But an inside linebacker, Austin Keys. Ole Miss transfer is already down. Auburn has the better personnel, though. I just read you some of those names. They're better than what Cal's putting on that offensive line. This is the first opportunity for Auburn to go show that that's run defense. Who gave up 170 yards or more in six games last year on the ground? is improved. This is their first rule test to go improve. And, and if they don't, if it doesn't look good, like I said, if Cal's rushing for 175, 200 yards. smells trouble for Auburn down the road because they're going to be facing, like I said, better offensive lines throughout the SEC schedule. But prediction time, I think another close one, man. I'm telling you, I think the Pac-12 is deeper at the bottom this year. Auburn 35, Cal 31. I actually think it's going to be an Auburn game. It just They just need to survive this game. I'm not going to make too big of a judgment on my end on this one as long as Auburn just wins this team. This is a survival game. This is a game you could see Auburn not looking great in in this week two. And then in like week 10, Auburn's maybe going for their seventh or eighth win. And you're like, man, we're how bad they looked against Cal? We're how bad they looked in the in the secondary? Or, man, they, Peyton Thorne had some turnovers there. Right? They didn't really use Robbie Ashford correctly, like they thought. Auburn's going to be a different team. But I think this is a game they just need to survive, get to 2-0, and, zero. Oh, I think it's a weird game. Cows improve. cross-country road trip. I just want to see this Auburn front seven step up and show improvement in the run game. I like both offenses to come alive at some point, even with quarterback Sam Jackson being potentially out for Cal. Auburn makes a couple plays late and wins in the Pac-12 after dark matchup in the Bay Area. Auburn 35, Cal 31. Remember, I took this one too. I took this one in one of the the Mach 10 sports, uh, Make It Rain Thursday, the over. We took the over in this one. We took the over in this one at 54-and-a-half, 54-and-a-half. But I do like Auburn making a couple plays down the stretch to win this game. Now we're getting into t- some of the two real matchups here. We just talked to Carter Carter Car- Carter Carls over there at 247 Sports. We giggle him 247. He liked the Ags. You can tell I like the Ags. Let's get to it. Texas A&M at Miami, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ABC. Texas A&M favored by four and a half. Remember, that was was some of my money-making Thursday, too. I took the Aggies, minus four and a half. Let's set the tone here for you. This has a potential to be a tone setter, no pun, for both teams. Heading into the rest of the season, through Texas A&M throughout their SEC schedule, Miami through the ACC schedule. It's now or never, though, specifically for Texas A&M. At least that's what I've been told. For Miami, Mario Cristobal and the boys have to bounce back from a disappointing first season. If A&M loses this game, though, cue their critics – and I do think that would be well deserved. If they go and AM doesn't look improved, the the critics will be that'll be fair for people to go critique and A&M. AM needs to win this game. It's a little similar to the Ole Miss Tulane game. AM should go win this game, just like Ole Miss should go to New Orleans and beat Tulane. Both those teams are kind of in the same boat this week to me. Um I do think AM is gonna go make a statement at least offensively, though. I love the offense this year just an arrogant offense, man. I like it. I like it. Again, not worried about AM on offense, probably the best wide receiver room in the league. Evan Stewart, Noah Thomas, Moose Muhammad, guys like that. I'm just a little bit worried about the defense. Still have some concerns with the defense. And I think Miami gets their fair share of explosive plays as well. Tyler Van Dyke, a lot more comfortable in new OC Shannon Dawson system. Remember, we just talked to Carter. It's tough to go back and watch that Miami-Texas game last year, the low-scoring they got two, Miami's got two different coordinators, new players. Um, Josh Gaddis, the office coordinator, could have gotten it done last year. Supplement Shannon Dawson, the new OC this year, coming over from Houston. Kevin Steele is now on, and now Lance Gidry is in the new DC from there. So to- it's tough to go back and watch that game. But, again, I think Tyler Van Dyke looks a lot better in Shannon Dawson's system from going back and watching that game um, in their first game. It looked a lot more. looked like he was much more comfortable in a like a ret Lashley type system, and that's what Shannon Dawson's running here. And we'll talk about that from from some kind of standpoint. But I also want to see from a middle standpoint, from a chip on their shoulder standpoint, who has it more out of these two games? Traditionally, the Miami, especially is a team that talks a lot, Jimbo's team's usually a team with a lot of edge with them. Does someone come out with an edge advantage? I, I kind of want to see a be a little nasty in this game. But where will this game be won? It's in here. It's the AM secondary, man. This game's gonna come down to AM's ability to keep things in front of them defensively. Remember, I'm not worried about AM's offense. I love what they're doing on offense right now, but it's gonna be about AM keeping things in front of them defensively. Shannon Dawson, the new OC Miami, we just talked about, came over from Houston. His offensive system is based on quick reads and getting the ball out quick. Think RPO air raid type system. Uh the system doesn't put a lot of stress on quarterbacks or offensive lines because they get the ball out quick. They do not take a lot of deep shots, but they tend to pick up a lot of yards. If you go watch their games at Houston and when Tom's was at West Virginia with Dana Holgerson, they get a lot of yards after the catch with secondaries not communicating and passing things over defensively. Like a lot of short underneath mesh stuff, where they a lot of pick rub routes, just short, easy throws, short, easy throws. Um, for AM, the ability to get off blocks in the perimeter when they throw screens will be critical. If you go back and watch the New Mexico Texas AM game, AM struggled passing off defenders at times. That concerns me a little bit defensively in this game for them. It, it does. But prediction time, I'm high on AM going to the year. I had them 10 and 2. They're going to have a chance to go win the SEC West towards the end of the year. They'll be in that conference. If there was a year for AM to compete in the SEC West, it's this year. It's this year. Never been more open. But I think A&M goes in and gets a 38-24 win. I think it's A&M offense. I keep saying it's going to be an arrogant bunch in this game, and I'm all for it. Another key matchup to watch offensively for the Ags, though, will be how do their running backs pass protect this week. A&M is going to have a bunch of one-on-one opportunities downfield. And I'll be honest, I I like guys like Evan Stewart, Noah Thomas, Moose Muhammad. we mentioned them earlier against most secondaries. That includes a lot of SEC secondaries. The opportunities are going to be there for Connor Wigman, early and often connecting on a couple of these early shots will tell us connecting on a couple of these early deep shots for kind of is going to tell us if this thing's going to be close or does A&M pull away maybe early or pull away early in the second half. I think what A&M looks like from a vertical passing game early is going to tell us a lot about this game. I like the ax to come out hot. Don't have a concern about the offense. I'm concerned about the defense passing some things off, but I ultimately think they get enough stops to get the win. A&M pulls away in the second half. 38-24 rags down at Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. And then finally, the one you've been waiting on, the big one. Probably of the more hyped up offseason matchups in a while. I mean, because I think people legitimately think Texas have a shot to go beat Alabama. I mean, I, I'm i telling you right now, I picked Alabama. or I picked Texas to beat Alabama in this heading into my preseason pick. I did. I had Alabama win it, finishing 10-2, and two, winning the SEC West. Their are two losses to Texas and Texas a m both Texas schools. Yeah, you'll find out here in a minute if that's changed a little bit, but let's get to it. Texas at Alabama, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff on ESPN. Alabama favored by 7.5. Let's set the tone for you. Who has the most pressure on them, Alabama or Texas? This is something I wanted to ask Leah, but, again, she's under under the weather. But I think it's Texas. This is the best Texas team that Sark has, at least on paper, personnel-wise, especially on the defensive line. They have enough weapons on the outside to go beat most. I think the pressure is on Texas. I'll be honest with you. I really don't even think it's that close. People wake. like, no, it's Alabama. No, it's Texas. It's now or never because people know this is Sark's best team. They know this is his best team. Then you also got to factor in Bryant-Denny Stadium and Alabama fans haven't felt threatened a lot over the past 17 years. But once or twice every two or three years, There's a massive home game where the usual golf clap crowd turns into a full-on rage-against-the-machine type atmosphere. I think this is one of those games. I think the crowd's going to have a major impact in this one. Can Quinn Ewers go in and get the biggest victory of his life? Can the Texas quarterback, former Ohio State transfer, Dallas native Quinn Ewers, go in and get the biggest win of his life? Here's a stat for you right here. The only quarterbacks, there's only five of them, since 2008, to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and get a win against the Nick Saban-led team is Cam Newton, Jarrett Lee, Johnny Manziel, Chad Kelly, and Joe Burrow. Three out of those five guys are Heisman Trophy winners. Jarrett Lee, take him out. They were kind of – it's the 2011 first game before they went and played again in the National Championship game. Jordan Jefferson was actually – the difference in that game them running the outside option off the tackle. That's what ultimately did it in that nine, six game of the century. You talk about Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly was a very good quarterback. I think he was like the Canadian football league MVP. Very good college quarterback. Four out of those five guys are excellent college quarterbacks. Two of them, three of them probably being three of the top 10 quarterbacks of all time in college football history. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, and jo- Joe Burrow. Does Quinn Ewers have that in him? he want to be in that class outside of Jarrett Lee? Also, how start Steve Sarkeesian coach in this one? Do- does he get a little bit out of his comfort zone or do they play their style of football? I mean, I see people say, oh, they're going to go up tempo. Like they need to go up tempo. Sark doesn't like to go up tempo. He also doesn't like to just take shots downfield. He likes to run the football. Throw in Sark struggled on the road is the University of Texas's head coach as well. Three and six straight up. With five of those six losses being by double digits. Let me repeat that stat for you. He's three and six on the road as Texas's head coach so far. With five of the six losses being by double digits. Let's think that in. I mean, I do think Sark has a good has the ability. And also Texas playing Alabama so close last year has the ability to kind of take that icebreaker off they need to go win this game because so many times over the years people lose the game in pregame game warm-ups and they just look across the other f- other side of the field to see Alabama when they've had the nasty 2016 17 18 defenses like that I mean people lose game in pregame game warm-ups I don't really think Texas is going to do that because Sark has worked at Alabama obviously hell this is a battle of two of two guys that have been head coaches at Alabama remember people forget it's not talked about it's a little pointless stab but Steve Sarkisian was the head coach in the 2020 Iron Bowl and Nick Saban was out with COVID. He's one know He's the head coach at Alabama. 1,000% thousand percent winning percentage. 1,000 winning percentage. Nick Saban also, obviously, we know the damage. Obviously, he's done. But jokes aside, I think sark can kind of take that icebreaker off. Like, guys, I've worked there. This is what it's really like at Alabama. They bleed, too. They're human beings. They bleed just like us. And also, you, you Texas should have won the game last year. If Quinn Ewers doesn't go out, you could have made an argument that they do win that game. If Bryce Young wasn't on the team, Alabama loses that game, too. The only issue is Texas probably feels real confident right now, heading into the Thursday night meetings. Guys are going home, watching Thursday night football, watching the Lions, Chiefs. Oh, they feel good about going to Tuscaloosa. The only thing is, what, does Texas blink when they get there on Saturday? Is it, it going to be too big for them? They look and feel confident right now. Just saying. I mean, something else to, as we set the tone here. Alabama, another team on the other end. It's kind of a faceless team, a faceless team for them this year. There's no Bryce Young or Will Anderson. I mean, Bryce Young was one of the face of not only Alabama, but college football last year. Will Anderson, probably the best defensive player in college, or one of the best defensive players in college football last year, kind of the face of defense in college football for the last two years. You did both those guys, just superstars on both sides. The Tide as a team this year seems to be a bit more by committee approach this year, and that's usually when the Tide is at its most complete. The offense it's going to be more steady than explosive sometimes. They're going to take the four- to six-yard plays they're going to get. I expect Jalen Milro to have his fair share of mistakes in this game. People are forget that this isn't going to be Tua Tagovailoa. This isn't going to be Jalen Hurts. This isn't going to be Mac Jones. This isn't going to be Bryce Young. Jalen still developing as a passer. But I think they're going to make the necessary plays on offense to to do enough on offense to win the game. The key for Bama offensively is who is getting them in the right protections. Bryce Young did a fantastic job of that last year. Bama's had centers who've gotten them in the right protections before. Black, back when Blake Sims was the quarterback with Ryan Kelly. Jalen Milroe or the center Seth McLaughlin. Seth McLaughlin's got to get those snaps up. And you saw the one that he slid, that he rolled back Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow took it. The athlete that he is ended up scoring on Alabama's first touchdown. That wasn't the only bad snap all, all game. There were some a couple at his feet Jalen had to go – been down to get that's got to be improved, but who's making those protections? Because, like I mentioned, mentioning, another position to watch right here, I'm just about talked about it. The Texas defensive line is actually getting to an SEC level next year. I think when people start watching more Texas football in 24, start next year, you to be, huh, man, they got some 6'4, 6'5, 280 pound, 260 pound dudes who are long, athletic, it can move vertically and laterally and get after the quarterback in the pocket. I mean, I think you're going to see that. I mean, guys like Alfred Collins, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Tavondre Sweat's going to be the one to watch, I'm telling you. This game's going to come down to – but, in my opinion, though, outside of the defensive line for Texas, who is a very good unit, probably their best from talk about in my opinion, and some people may call me crazy because they think it's the receivers. This game's going to ultimately come down to, does Quinn Ewers make enough explosive plays downfield to win this game? Because, as we all know, as we all know, the key to beating Alabama is winning the explosive plays down the field battle, winning the explosive play – down the field battle, you got to make plays on Alabama. Down, you got to take advantage of one-on-one situations, and your receivers got to make plays. It kind of just reminds me of the 2015 Ole Miss game. They made every one-on-one play. You're not going to go drive 75, 80 yards in Alabama consistently. You're either going to get impatient, someone's going to make a mistake. You have to go take advantage of them downfield and can when you do that because he has struggled with the deep ball, even going back to the end of last year, even this first game against Rice, overthrowing Xavier Worthy, underthrowing Xavier Worthy. Are worthy. That's going to be key. The way you beat Alabama is with explosive plays. But a thing to keep an eye out, talked about it around the SEC segment, Malachi Moore and Jalen Key a little banged up. Jalen Key the UAB transfer, got the start in the secondary. It's going to be key, he, him being back there with the young cat, Caleb Downs, who's a fantastic player, getting Minka Fitzpatrick type reviews, but he's still just a freshman. It's a Steve Sarkeesian offense that smells trouble. The Malachi Moore who's been there since the beginning of time gets the start at nickel. They both practice Wednesday. So that's a good sign that they're going to play. They don't use don't practice by Wednesday. You're not going to play for my history. So that'll be it. That'll be a matchup to watch too. So like you said, before we get into this where it'll be one, two matchups that you, besides where it'll be one that you need to keep an eye on is how healthy are Malachi Moore and Jalen Key. And watch that Texas offensive line. The funnest matchup to watch is going to be the Texas offensive line versus which I think is a pretty good Alabama offensive line. There's going to be some monsters in those trenches, some creatures. But where this game will be won? Speaking of the trenches, you notice I go there a lot because that's where football is won. Up front in the big uglies, Alabama's front, front four, front seven, against the interior of the Texas offensive line. Guys like Hayden, Connor, Jake Majors, and DJ Campbell will determine this game for Texas. That's the for if you don't know that. That's the interior of the longhorn offensive line from left to right. Hayden Connor, the left guard, Jake Majors, the center, and then DJ Campbell, the right guard. They struggled last week. I'm about to pull it up for you right now. They struggled last week to run the ball and protect Rice. I'm pulling up the screen right now for you. Let's pull up, let's pull up some film here. Just a couple quick plays I want to show you. All right, here's the situation. First quarter, as you can tell, 407 left. Third nine situation. First quarter, Texas up seven and three, seven to three. But this is only a four-man pressure they brought here. I mean, some guys dropped into coverage. They're only bringing four here. And they get to Quinn Evers pretty easily. I mean, Kevin Steele, we'll get to it in a minute. He likes to disguise blitzes. He likes to blitz on the interior, twist, stunts, confuse offensive linemen, especially interior offensive line. He's going to do a lot of this. He's going to do a lot of this. Bring it back for you right here. I mean, they have the entire offensive line here confused. and they, I mean, this is Rice. This was a poor run defense last year, and I know they're dropping back to pass. They're in pass protection here, uh, Rice getting up the field, but this is not a very good front by Rice. This is not a very good front by Rice. Sorry, here's the play right here. Last time for you. Spring and stuff from all over the place, and Texas just doesn't pick it up. They're only bringing four, man. Texas got an extra blocker here. I mean, this is 101 install stuff. Cat corner blitz over here from the boundary. They just don't pick it up. Quinn Evers, again, puts his head down, not keeping his eyes down the field. That's key in quarterback play, guys. And I think Alabama's going to be able to get to him like this in the backfield. I think they're easily going to be able to get to him in the backfield. Now, let me pull up my notes here. I want to bring up another play for you here at the 30-11 mark. I'm going back and watching this game. And then we'll move on and then we'll continue with the preview. All right, here it is. Here's the situation. Fourth and one, second quarter. Texas struggling right now. Been limited in field goals. Thank goodness for their kicker. That's going to be a battle in itself, too. Burt Auburn is the uh, Texas kicker. Both Alabama and and Texas both have really good kickers. And Alabama with Will Reichard, Texas with Burt Auburn. Uh, But fourth and one here. You can tell Sark, this isn't really about – I know Texas was very vanilla scheme-wise. They're not going to go show Alabama a lot. I get that. This is about – Me beating my man across from mano y mano, when I know I'm better than him. When I know I'm better than him. I've always kind of questioned just how tough these Texas kids are from a high school standpoint, not Texas Longhorns, but they they recruit predominantly Texas kids. How tough they are in the interior. I mean, I know Rice probably has some kids too from Texas too, but fourth and one, your coaches believing in you, trying to go pick up the first down. We're trying to get some momentum, get Uncle Mo back on our side offensively. He trusts you. It's fourth and one here, and this is what happens. We're struggling in the first half to get anything going here if you're Texas. This is what happens. I mean, just totally – I mean, what, what is this by Jatavian Sanders here, the tight end, the H-back coming in as the sniffer? I mean, just getting back. Again, This, I don't think this is a nasty front at Texas. And I think Alabama's front seven is a lot nastier than they've been in the last two years. This is something I think Bama can take advantage of. Kevin Steele – if I'm seeing it, Kevin Steele's seeing it. Look, no real, pu- no real push. Rice gets the stop on fourth down. I think they got another – so stop on fourth down as well. Texas did not. I don't care what people tell you. They did not get a lot of push against Rice last week, and that's concerning. That's that, that's concerning to me. If I'm just being completely honest with you, because I know you're. Like I said, I know your vanilla scheme scheme wise. But again, it's Rice. It's mono. We got to go pick up a yard, guys, and you didn't do it. Scheme be damn There. This is just me going to dominate the guy across from me. Again, they didn't show much. Have to get pushed against one of the worst rushing defenses in the country for last year. Like I mentioned, Kevin still likes to bring stunt blitzes, specifically through the inside gaps, the A and B gaps. They're going to see a ton of that. A ton of, I mean, expect guys like Deontay Lawson to be rolling through the B gap and doing what he wants, I think is what's going to happen on this. Add in, you're probably going to get some backdoor sacks if you're getting pressure on the interior and you're on Quinn Ewer's feet putting his head down some backdoor stats from probably one of the best, if not the best, outside linebacker room edge rushers in the country. Guys like Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, Quadarius Robinson. The pocket will be collapsing, and those guys will come from the back door, and and they're going to eat, for lack of a better term. If you're Texas, the interior offensive line concerns you. It has to be. This game's going to come down to guys Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, DJ Campbell. If you did not hear me again, those three guys are on notice. Hayden Connor, left guard, Jake Majors, center, DJ Campbell struggled against Rice this week. I don't anticipate that improving in a raucous Tuscaloosa Bryant Denny stadium environment against a much improved Alabama defense, especially in the front seven. But it's prediction time now, baby. Prediction. Remember, I told you going into the season, I picked this as one of Alabama's two losses. I did. Man, if times have changed, give me the Todd. Give me Alabama 31 17. I may be wrong. But I do not think Quinn Ewers it will become the sixth quarterback to win in Bryant-Denny Stadium since 2008. I don't think it happens. I think guys like Jaheim Otis, Tim Keenan, Justin and Boyboy, and Jamarian Latham are the difference. The guys on the interior for the Alabama defensive line, I think they win that battle against Texas's interior offensive line. Ewers is uncomfortable all night. It's going to be making throws off balance. It may take Texas's equipment guy until the next road game, I think, when they go to Baylor from their schedule, to get the grass stains off his uniform. I think Bama's going to be in his face all night. Bama's offense will have its negative moments. Do not get me wrong. People do not go get frustrated. It is what it is. But Bama and the Jalen milroe led Alabama offense will be efficient. I'm going to like Tommy Reese dialing up some plays to get Alabama in manageable situations. I think they'll be effective enough to outscore Texas at home. Bama pulls away late after a couple of big third-down conversions. And the front seven of Alabama is the talk of college football heading into week three. Bama gets the 31-17 win. So I previewed all five of those big matchups. Just again, recapping them. I like the Rebs to go into New Orleans, get a win in the Big Easy. They should. They should. Ole Miss should go handle this handily, I think. Tulane's better than I anticipated. I thought South Alabama would beat them, but Ole Miss should get this win. Arizona at Mississippi State game's going to be a lot closer than I think. Just under the radar bet. It wouldn't shot if you if you're four. If you're leaning, taking Arizona plus nine and a half. I don't blame you. I think Arizona's a good six seven win team this year. It's going to be a tougher challenge than people that aren't real. They don't know a lot of football casual fans out there would think this is gonna be a tougher game, but I think state makes a few plays late. 32-28, Mississippi State. Auburn at Cal. Interesting, tricky game. Auburn just needs to survive it. And Hugh Freeze's second game on the Plains. Heading out to the Bay Area, late night kickoff, 9:30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, right after the Alabama-Texas game. It'll take you to that. Auburn favored by six and a half right now. I love the over. We'll go through my bets one more time before we get you out of here. But I like Auburn in a close one. Auburn just needs to survive. I like Auburn 35-31. Texas A&M Miami. Kind of feel the same way with Texas A&M as I do with Ole Miss. I, I think A&M is going to look really good. I love Texas A&M minus four and a half. I think they pull away late in the second half. Offense is not going to be the issue. They're discipline, communicating on defense, passing off guys on defense. Because that's what Shannon Dawson, guys – Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke want to do. The simple throw is going to get it out. People are going to be like, well, A&M's like getting a bunch of sacks. Well, they're not going to be able to because the Miami offense is going to get it out quickly. It's just a style game. But I think AM does end up getting a double-digit win, covering easily, 38-24. And then finally, the big one, everybody's going to be there, college game day. I like Alabama. Didn't like it heading into the season. But you know what? I have more information at in hand now after week one, talking to people, watching film. I like Bama minus 7.5, also like Alabama. is defensive line on the interior to just outlast and control the game against Texas the interior of their offensive line. Again, love Bama there like them a lot more than I did. It got Bama 31 17, but recapping just for, cause we got Connor on right before money making Thursday. If you're writing them down, get out your pen, start transferring that money to your college kids, your, your kids college fund, Colorado minus three at home against Nebraska, Texas A&M minus four and a and 45 at Miami. And my, Great white Buffalo, guarantee of the week. Random game. Probably won't get more random as we go. Who knows? we got a couple more. we got about 11, 12 more weeks of this. But UConn, plus three and a half over Georgia State. Love it. I guarantee of the week. Jim Moore and them or I don't know why. The wrong team's favored. Let's just put it that way. Again, I told you, I like Bama minus seven and a half. I think UTSA gets a, little, gets a little bit of a range game. They thought they should have beat Houston last week. I think Texas State's coming in real high on themselves. I like UTSA versus Texas State. Give me the minus eleven with the Roadrunners and Jeff Trailer and the boys. Then I got some over unders. I've been really good at all year. Auburn, Cow, give me the over fifty four and a half. Ole Miss, Tulane, over sixty two and a half. We're going seven and zero this week, but guys. We covered a lot on the show. We covered a lot on this show. We had Texas A&M, A and M beat writer from Giggum two four seven. Carter Carl's joined us. Talked about that Miami Texas A and M matchup. He likes Miami. He'll be head or he likes Texas A and M. He'll be heading to Miami next. Uh, Tomorrow. I like A&M as well. Gave us some good information on some matchups there. Went around the SEC. Jalen Key, Malachi Moore at practice for the time. The SEC released its basketball schedule. We talked about that. We previewed all the week two matchups. Talked a little Mac Brown, Tez Walker. I know it's not SEC, but just wanted to throw that out there. But it's gonna be a fun weekend. A lot the SEC needs to go redeem itself after the after going one and three in the big four matchups this week. There's six that the SEC can go take advantage of in non-conference play this week. I like the SEC overall. I really do. But, again, exciting matchups this weekend. Hope to see you. Remember, next episode will be this upcoming Monday. Hope to see you on that one, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mach 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.